Hi, this is a message from Life Church Leeds. We hope it encourages and helps you. We've had a great few few weeks, and I've been trying to catch up as much as I can on um, the teachings outside of you know being sat in the room. And uh, really, I just want to unpack something, maybe take us on a journey. Because for those of the, you that don't know me, I have four children. Uh, from eight, four, and two one-year-olds, and um, we've been here many years now, and it's a great privilege to um, open the Word of God and to um, for you to take the time to listen to what I have to say, and that's why when we pray at the beginning, I genuinely mean, you know what, God, evaporate any words that I don't need to be s- spoken, or evaporate any words that don't need to land in your life, but may you be left more with Jesus today. May you be left falling more in love with him, not the eloquence or the musicianship or, or anything on this platform, but may we all be leaving here more with Jesus today. And so I would like to read um, from Luke 2, and it's maybe a little bit of a strange passage um, to go from, but we're going to read from Luke 2 and verse 41, and it says this, every year his, that's Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, and while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was with their company, they traveled on for a day, and they began to look looking for him amongst their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Some versions say I had to be around the things of my father. But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. And they went down to Jerusalem with them. He went down to Jerusalem with him. And it was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. Now, we have four kids. And um, most days in my life, my day-to-day life, I feel like I am on a school outing. If you've ever been a parent that's volunteered to um, go with that class on a class trip... You'll know what I mean. It's constant head counts. It's constant, before you get in the car, have we got water? Have we got a suitable, two shoes would be helpful. Though I did take one of my children to childcare this week with one shoe on, and I was like, I don't mind him being barefoot for the day. Go for it. But it's constant head counts. It's a little bit chaotic. And um, Always, you know, when I stand up here, it's always good to use, like, personal reference. So you're like, yeah, I remember that story because, you know, this happened similar. Or we give personal examples. Well, I can't give a personal example of losing a child, thank goodness. I've never yet, though guaranteed it'll happen this week. I've never lost one of my children. So I can't stand up here and give a personal account. But what I can do is tell you the story of when Dave lost our child. And he's not here to defend himself, 
couple of months ago, probably about six weeks ago, uh, maybe two months ago, Dave lost our second child. He went to do the school run. Now, for those of us that have got children in lockdown, the school run is like a highlight of our week or our day. And we were out of the school run this morning for, for two reasons. Um, sometimes it's the only alone time I get. It's that journey home from the school run when I am totally by myself for around eight minutes. And it's beautiful. But also, why Dave likes to do the school run is because for sometimes it is the only adult interaction you might get that day. And so he was like, I'll do the school run. I was like, no, I'll do the school run. He's like, I'm at the door. So Sunny, our four-year-old, who's not yet at school, goes in September. And our eight-year-old, who is at school, went with Dave. And um, he went, did the school run. And because of COVID, there's different rules. And so they all have to queue up outside um, the gates, because inside the gates, that's where COVID will spread. Outside the gates, people gathering, it's fine. (laughs) But they're all queuing up in their age groups, and then they get called in age group by age group. And so Dave was early because, again, wanted, you know, more adult interaction. He sees a friend of ours that we've had for many, many years, and he starts chatting to him, who he was also doing the school run. He's got a busy life. He was like, great, this is like our catch-up. I feel like we caught up if we see each other at the school gates. And so they're chatting. Now, we were quite early that day, which is a miracle, But um, Dave was early, and so Sunny, there's like a grass bank. Sunny was going along the grass bank and picking up flowers, bringing them to his dad to bring home to me. I know, honestly, guys, I don't know how he's turned out so nice. He's really, really lovely. So he was going and getting a flower and bringing it back. It was a dandelion or a daisy, but never mind. Going and bringing it back, and Dave was chatting to his friend, and then all of a sudden, they call Jay's year group, and Jay runs in, and Dave's like, oh, bye then, Jay, see you later. And Dave turns, starts walking to the car. Now, if you've done the school run, you don't park near the school, because there is no space near the school, and everything is double yellows. So the car was a little bit of a distance away, and he starts walking to his school, and then he sees another friend. He hasn't caught up with him for ages either. He's like, mate, how are you? Starts chatting, walks to the car, gets to the car, and it's like... I'm sure I've forgotten something. <laughs> oh no, I've forgotten Sonny. Guys, Sonny doesn't know the full extent of how far his dad got. Let's not bring that up. So Dave starts sprinting back to the school, and as he approaches the school, the lady who oversees the pastoral care <laughs> is there with Sonny holding her, going, don't worry, we will find your grown-up, as Sonny is distraught that he has been abandoned and left. Dave scooped him up, picked him in his arms, came home. Now, Sonny, as a a gift, of, he will react the same to um, a moth dying, which was the, the thing this morning. He will react the same to a moth dying, to his favorite toy breaking. Like, he only reacts extremely. So sometimes, if I'm honest, when he cries, I'm like, where are we on a scale of, like, is this, is this, you know, you've stubbed your toe, or is this like you found out about Santa Claus? I don't know. Where are we? Where are we? And so Dave came in, and Sonny clearly had been crying, though, calmed down, and Dave's giving him a big, big squeeze. I was like, you're right, Sonny. He was like, I was like, oh, no, the silent, like, <laughs> you know it's bad when they come out. 
Dave said, well, we had a bit of an incident at school today. So I was like, oh, no, did he want to go? Because he just found out he's going to that school. Did he want to go? And he, he thought that's why he was going. Or did Jay, like, not give him something from his packed lunch? What happened? Dave was like, well, um, what happened was... And before Dave could tell his version of the story, Sonny went, Daddy left me! <laughs> I said, Daddy did what? Daddy left me! He went all the way away and I didn't know where he was and people were asking me my name and I couldn't say it. And I was like, Dave Niblock. I was like, I thought maybe you'd refuse to buy like a magazine or something. But no, he had lost a second child and we bring it up regularly. Remember that time, Dave, you lost a child? Yeah, I do remember actually, Abs, because if I forgot, you'd be there to remind me. So while I have no personal experience of losing a child, I imagine the conversation between Joseph and Mary was a little bit similar to the conversation between me and Dave that day. And, um, you know, kind of like, I've packed the the whole trip, Mary would be like, I've packed the whole trip, I've done all the washing, all the cleaning, I've made sure everyone is in one place. You had one job, Joseph. And all you did was order ASOS the night before for a new pair of swimming shorts. That that is the only contribution you have done for this trip. That would be like the kind of conversation, obviously not in our house, but, you know, in in their house. But it had been fraught with, with anxiety and fraught with frustration that Jesus... I mean, if you ever lose things... I lose keys fairly regularly, but keys are keys. They're not human beings. Dave reminds me when I've lost my keys... Most days, put them in the same place, abs, every day, and you won't lose them. I didn't lose a child. That's all I say now. That is all I say. I didn't lose a child. It's not a child. It's not human, is it? Dave's like, that's all he can do. What else can he do? But we're looking at this, this passage of, you know, Jesus being left and being found around his father's things. Mary and Joseph fraught with anxiety, going, I've lost the saviour of the world. If you ever lose things, like, it's a bit of an encouragement. I've not done that bad. I've not been that bad. But there's a couple of takeaways that I'd like to just, you know, throw out there, really, before we unpack a phrase that we find in the scriptures. And the takeaways for me was when I read that story a few weeks ago, I realized they did the same routine every year. They'd been, they said they went every year, every single year. So for 12 years of Jesus' life, he had made this journey. It was part of their routine. It was familiar to them. But yet they lost Jesus along the way. And there have been times in my life, and definitely you hear, like, I'm busy. You hear this plate spinning. You hear that, you know, things aren't working out in an area of our life. Things are, are, are busy. There are times when we have fallen into routine and then woken up and gone, well, where's Jesus? And it's not that we purposely abandon him, but we've just got busy or just got distracted or just got bogged down or just taken our eyes away for one minute. It's not like we deliberately decided, today, I'm going to leave Jesus behind. It just happens because routine can be a gift or it can be a robber. Routine can be a gift. You know, we form good habits. Good habits are great. And there are many good habits that I would like to have. 
My life sometimes looks far too chaotic for me to have good habits, but we're desperate trying to bring good habits into our life, good habits of exercise and good habits of sleep and good habits of how you spend your time and your money. And there's good things found in good habits and routine, but routine can be a robber of creativity. What I mean is we can go so on autopilot of this is how we've always done it, that we lose the awareness of really what's going on. If you were to step out in business, or maybe you've got a new child, or maybe you've moved to a new city, or maybe you've started a new serving area, or maybe there is some element in your life, your child is starting a new school, or your children have left home and this is a new season, your antennas are up of going, what is going on? Where are, where are the things that you know I find comfort in? Where is, what is God doing? Where am I pushing boundaries? Your creativity levels are, are heightened. You are aware of things. But when we fall into a routine, often it can be a great robber of what God would really love to be doing. And I say this to encourage you. You know, for a long time, I have beat myself up that my daily devotional, which I desperately try to do, does not look very organized. It does not look very serene. It does not look um, maybe the most peaceful. It does not happen at the same time every day. It does not happen some days. Shocking, I know. Because what I am desperately trying to cling on to is the way I did it 10 years ago. Well, 10 years ago, I had no children. I was newly married. We lived in a nice home in the, in a con- in the countryside. Life was different. So rather than beat yourselves up that I can no longer attain that, go, actually, the desire is still there. Let's be cool with that. Because God is a creative God. The miracles that we read Jesus performed, very rarely did he perform them in the same way more than once. Not because he couldn't, because why would he? We park up on if it's not broke, it doesn't need fixing. But why don't we actually go, you know, God, you promised that we will see even more incredible things in our lifetime that even the disciples saw in their lifetime. God, maybe you want to do a new thing. Maybe you're a creative God. You look at the story of creation and you go, every single day something new was happening. So maybe we need to, you know, shrug off. For me, I've had to shrug off a little bit of embarrassment and a little bit of, um, I, guess, I guess, condemnation that I've put on myself of, you know, I don't have a coffee perfectly made with my Bible. My Bible is falling apart. I have about 17 notebooks on the go at any one time because I lose them regularly. Sometimes I have a real fear that someone's going to find them and read them and be like, oh my word, that girl needs help. Yes. (laughs) But we get this condemnation which actually goes, oh gosh, now I can't pray because I didn't pray yesterday and now I can't read the Bible because I don't really know where to start. And all of a sudden, like, I'm so embarrassed, I'm kind of over here. And then when we are in need, you're like, well, I can't ask Jesus because I haven't spoken to him for 17 days, 17 months, or 17 years. I can't ask Jesus. Rather than going, my desire is still to meet with Jesus. And yeah, maybe I have lost God along the way. And that's not through um, 
a deliberate desire to lose Jesus. But maybe life has just served me some unexpected things. And as embarrassing as it might be, though we know you run to Jesus, I actually didn't. And so today I need to draw a line in the sand and go, okay, my desire is like that song said, a touch of heaven. I need a touch of heaven. And I need a touch of heaven daily. Because as I read the scriptures, every encounter people had with Jesus started with that word, desire. Zacchaeus, though embarrassed, though wanting to be hidden, desired to be around the things of Jesus. He desired to see Jesus. Mary at the tomb, when Jesus has been dead and buried, she desired to be around the things of Jesus. And she was the first person that saw Jesus when he was resurrected because she started with a desire. The feeding of the 5,000. You know, it was 5,000 plus women plus children. So, you know, let's call it 20,000. 20,000 people had a desire to be around the things of Jesus. It was inconvenient. It was probably hot. They probably didn't have connection cards to fan themselves with. They certainly didn't have lunch, but they desired to be around Jesus. When they desired to be around Jesus, remarkable things happened. Peter, who walked on water, and I am desperately hoping that they open up some more European countries so that some of us can go on holiday and do what we do every year, and see if we too can walk on water. I still try it, guys. I still try. I don't tell my kids as much, but I still am like, wouldn't it be amazing if I was the second one to walk on water? But he got out of the boat and he said, Jesus, if that is you, tell me to come and I will come. Why? Because he had a desire to be with Jesus. And so it goes on. And the question I have had to pose myself is how much, how much do I actually desire to be around the things of Christ? Or has my daily devotional become more of a tick list? Well, I, I read my Bible every day this week. And they are good habits. And they are good disciplines. And I'm not throwing it all away. I'm saying they won't mean half as much if there is a desire in my life. Because God in his creativity can use many different ways, forms, conversations, Disney movies, conversations with our kids, walks in the park. He can use many different ways and forms to meet with us. He really can. And so I've told you I'm busy and I feel like the whole nation is tired. And I can imagine if I was sat where you're sat and someone was saying what I'm sat, I'm like, oh, another thing I have to get right this week. Another thing I have to room for improvement this week or things I need to change or, okay, we go again. And I feel like the nation is tired. I feel like the nation is worn out or frayed and some of us are navigating change and some of us are navigating maybe grief or disappointment. And you insert any big feeling or situation and it's easy to see why we have lost a little bit of our desire or maybe have lost Jesus altogether. And it's not because we've abandoned him, it's just because other stuff has got in the way. 
But when I was preparing this, I was reminded of a um, song we used to sing. This is my desire to honor you. Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. Worship is a great leveler. Worship is a great leveler. Because great things happen when we encounter Jesus, and I don't think anyone would dispute that. When we encounter Jesus, we are around the things of the Father. The things of the Father look like peace. The things of the Father look like joy, look like wholeness, look like restoration. Great things happen when we are around the things of the Father. A zeal for your house, it says, consumes me. Well, it used to, but I got a lot of other things going on. So now I, I come, you know, when I can. Like when I come, I don't really want to be told off. I hear you. I sit there regularly. So the question is, how do we get hungry when we already feel our life is full? How do we get hungry again? How do I get hungry again when, honestly, sometimes I'm like, yes, I've not lost a child and they've all got two shoes on and they've all been fed. How do I get hungry when I feel like people are losing jobs and I'm just trying to keep a hold of my job? How do I get hungry when I feel my life is already full. And in Revelation, yes, I'm going there. Dave's not here. I've told the story about him losing, and I'm now using Revelation, guys. I won't be up for a while. <laughs> but in Revelation 2, it says this. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot take, tolerate wicked men, that you have tasted those and have, that have claimed to be apostles but are not. And you have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships in my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this thing against you. You have forsaken your first love. I'm not holding that against you. But how often we can become so consumed with the tick list of what we now need to do when actually we need to just go back to our first love. And in the message version, it says this, go back to, repent and do the things you did at first. And really, you know, in the season of the last maybe couple of years, if I'm totally honest, I've just tried to strip my faith back and gone back to what I first did when I got saved. What I first did when I first encountered Jesus. I don't know when you first encountered Jesus, but I was raised in church. My parents loved Jesus. They brought me from an early age. They brought me from a baby. And I never really departed. But, you know, as my, in my teenage years is when I first started to encounter Jesus. Do what you did when you first encountered Jesus. Repent and do the things you did at first. And maybe you haven't yet met Jesus, or maybe you haven't yet encountered Jesus. But for me, sometimes it looks like playing a worship song that takes me back to somewhere because it repositions my heart. Maybe it, re- it looks like going through an old notebook and go, I remember writing that. I remember reading that. I remember praying that prayer and look how far I've gone. I remember this old Bible. I've still got my first Bible. It's held together barely. I can't even take it out of the house because it literally just falls apart. Like there's three books already missing. But I look at that book sometimes and go, I remember what I did when I first got saved. And the love for Jesus and the desire to be around his things was consuming me. 
You've forsaken your love. Yeah, okay, way to kick me when I'm down. You held this against me. But repent and do the things you did at first. It's not about reading the Bible more or maybe even raising your hands in worship more. It's not about reading more Christian books or serving on more teams, though those, I believe, are byproducts. But it's our desire for our heart to encounter more of Jesus. To encounter Jesus is a supernatural manifestation of God's presence in my life. It is out of the ordinary. It isn't routine. And so I'd like to just maybe give you a few things that I'm trying to make a daily thing in my life. You know, when Jesus performed his first miracle, turned water into wine, he was at a wedding. Jesus is a gentleman. He is kind. He is He is not going to barge his way in. So Jesus could only perform a miracle at the wedding because he was invited to be there. And as simple and as profound and as basic and as extraordinary as that is, I've just gone back to inviting Jesus every day. Jesus, I want to encounter you today. I want to encounter you. I don't know what that means and I don't know what that looks like. But I want to encounter you. I don't want to crack on, but I want to encounter you. And sometimes it's those basic disciplines, it's those basic statements, it's those basic heart's desires that we're almost like they're too basic for me. I've grown up in church. I've been around Christians for all of my life. I love Jesus. And you're just saying, yeah, invite Jesus into your life all over again. You know, I have a friend and she is a life coach and she'll coach a lot of different people from a lot of different walks. And, you know, people often go to her to haul their whole life over. And, you know, I really want to get fit and I want to, you know, be better at this and be better at that and change my career. And, and she'll start, she always says, okay, I want you to drink eight glasses of water every day. And she says the amount of people that are like, no, 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 no. No, I don't, I don't want that. What I want is like, I want my life to look dramatically different and all you're telling me to do is eight glasses of water. She's like, if you can do eight glasses of water, then you've already repositioned yourself enough to go, I can make changes. But sometimes the changes look so simple that they're almost like a little bit immature. No, repent and do what you did at first. Invite Jesus in. I remember when years ago I read a book um, called Good Morning Holy Spirit. And um, when we were first married, we, we would have this joke because Dave is not a morning person and I'm not much better. But it would be the first thing, the alarm clock would go off and it would be the first thing that we would say was, Good morning, Holy Spirit. And then we'd get up and get on with our day. But it was the awareness of, I've invited you into my life all over again. And maybe that will be the biggest change that you, you and I make this week is going, before I get out of bed, good morning, Holy Spirit. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Another thing that I'm trying to do is to ask Jesus to encounter him. Jesus, I want to encounter you today in the little time that I have to read my Bible or the little time that I have alone with you or the, the little time that I have, God, maybe you will interrupt me. Maybe you will come up in a conversation. Maybe I will notice things. Holy Spirit, prompt me, nudge me, push me. May I encounter you today because when I encounter you today, I leave different. Ask people to pray for you, for you to have an encounter with Jesus. 
You know, when you meet with your friends or even today after the service, we don't have to do a big call down the front. You don't have to, like, repeat after me. You can literally say to your friends, hey, let's just pray this week that we would encounter Jesus. Maybe in your workplace or maybe in your family, maybe in the conversations that you are having with your teenagers or with your children. Ask Jesus, I want to encounter you, and would you get a friend to pray for you? Expect an encounter. Put your spiritual antennas back up. God, I want to see your creativity. I want to mix things up. I'm so in a routine of how you will answer prayers or what you will do. But God, I'm going to lose you. So be creative. Open my eyes. May I be like Paul where the scales fall from my eyes and I see you in a whole new way. Be around people who encounter Jesus because they will encourage you that it is both relevant and possible. Learn to worship and to wait. And I am in that place. I am learning to worship and learning to wait all over again. The other thing that's probably a whole bigger topic, but fast. We usually devote a whole teaching session to why we fast, but in a 30-second teaching, this is basically what it is. You give up something, you deny yourself something in favor of what God wants. So you learn the discipline of saying, not my will, but your will be done. I will give this up so that whatever God you, I will give this up willingly, so whatever God you ask me to sacrifice or submit, it will come as second nature. Fasting is about submission, surrender, and service. And make room. You know, it, it, this is probably the hardest one for me. Make room. It is hard to encounter Jesus when I'm in a rush all the time. Slow things down. As much as you can, slow things down. Because every time people encounter Jesus, they left with a renewed mind, a changed heart, a clean heart, a fresh start. Every time people encounter Jesus, they leave more consumed with the things of the Father. And I guess that's part two. Because if I am going to be confronted with where are my desires, how do I get hungry when my life is full... The reality is, most of us in here only met Jesus because another human being introduced us to Jesus. That would be the majority of us. Therefore, if I am too in a rush, too busy, too whatever adjective you want to use there, to encounter Jesus, if my heart's desire, if I have forsaken my first love, if I've moved slightly away, from a desire to encounter Jesus, then how many people in my life are going to have a missed opportunity to encounter Jesus? And that's the biggest challenge because God will work with you and God will work through you and I believe that's his biggest joy and totally our biggest privilege. And God will get a message to those people that maybe I have missed. I believe that God is a redeemer And the conversations that I wasn't brave enough to have, I believe God loves them more than he loves to prove a point to me and he will get to them. I do believe that. 
But I think this city deserves people of God to be hungry for the things of the Father. I think this city, our neighbours, our community deserve the people of God to be hungry enough to have a desire to encounter Jesus all over again. We're going to sing that touch in heaven song. And there's, you know, hopefully something that will have helped you today or maybe encouraged you or maybe, you know, spurred you, spurred you on to look for God in a new way, to create an appetite for the things of Christ. But maybe there's just two steps that I could just leave with you and you can pray about them and see where they land in your life. And the two steps are, number one, ask to have a Jesus encounter. And number two, ask to be a vessel for others to encounter him as well. The more Christ-like we become, and you become like the people you spend time with. So if I spend time with Christ, I'm going to become more like him in my character. The more Christ-like we can become, the more other people can see Christ through us. Ask for an encounter with Jesus. Whether you've been saved and maybe walked this road with him for many, many years, God wants to do a new thing. He is a creative God. He isn't finished with you. You haven't seen your best days. I really believe that. Or maybe you're in here and you're like, I'm just checking out Jesus. You have a desire to have an encounter with Jesus. Whatever that may look like, ask that of God. Say, God, if you're real. Say, God, I want to bump into you. God, I want to meet you. We're going to worship in, in this moment. And maybe you being a vessel will look like an act of generosity. Maybe you being a vessel will have a Holy Spirit prompt this week to step out and say, hey, would you like me to pray for that situation? Or, hey, can I, can I include you in a prayer request that we do as a church? Or maybe it'll be a word of knowledge for somebody. Maybe you will notice something that you might have passed by. Maybe you will end up bumping into the same person constantly and you're like, I don't know why, but is there anything that I can pray about you because I bumped into you three consecutive days. Maybe it's at the school gates. Maybe it's in your business. Maybe it's at your office. Maybe it's a conversation with your kids that you would glance over and you feel the Holy Spirit stop you. Maybe that's where you will be a vessel, but you will recognize and respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit.